I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is Your Mental Breakdown. The podcast. Featuring us. Back to you after a brief hiatus. I like saying hiatus. (laughs) Hi, Atis. How you doing? (laughs) I was thinking like, I have this very weird... um, Mm, Keep it clean. Keep it clean. I know. I know. Um, Imposter syndrome about turning 50. I'm turning 50 this year, the end of this year. Right. Right. And I feel like probably what people feel like when they lie and they say they're younger than they are, I actually feel like I'm lying and saying I'm older because <laughs> I mean, I don't look like I'm 50, neither do you. No, you I look like 54, 55. Shut the fuck up. I don't act like I'm 50. I don't feel 50. No. So <laughs> when I say I'm turning fit, I just feel so weird that like- Like you think somebody's going to card you and be like, really? Yeah, Prove it. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yes. And it just feels, I'm like- <laughs> gonna be 50 (laughs) 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 like I'm excited about it but I was thinking about it and I was like are we gonna be those 50 year olds or however old we are where you still crack horrible jokes and where we still listen to hip-hop and where my tats are like drooping and you know what I mean we're gonna be that first generation clearly I know it's so weird though we really are gonna be the first generation except for like old sailors who are tatted and droopy, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I was just talking to our friend Maya in Australia. Shout out. Good day. Or good evening because it's the other time of the world over there. Anyway, and just saying like, I still think of us, I've known her for, I don't know, 30, 40 years now and still like think of us as teenagers. Yeah. And we're still talk like teenagers and we're still goofy and, and it's, yeah, that's what we do. We have adult responsibilities. Ish. And she has a couple of kids. But oh, she does. She does then, yeah. And you have a dog, yeah. so. I do have a dog. That takes much more. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and since I'm still, sing- I've been single for so long, I still feel like I'm like, ooh, cute boys. You know, like, <laughs> like my niece will show me a picture of a, like some boy she thinks is cute. I'm like, oh, he's hot. He's cute. And then we'll all just sit there and then they'll be like, look at me. And I'm like, I'm just saying. <laughs> like you're, you're cruising the, the frack. Yeah. I'm like, no, like I can. And... <laughs> that's so funny though. Anyway, just a weird thought Speaking I had. Speaking of cruising, you ready? I was, cru- okay. I wanted your react. You do not know any of this yet. Oh, so we'll oh. see your reaction. Okay. Get your reaction firsthand. Okay. On, on Wednesday, I was driving to the market and on my way to the market, I heard something. It sounded like firecrackers. So I kind of slowed down going towards Pasadena and the car next to me slowed down. And then we realized what we heard, like the pap, 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 were gunshots. And we're both like kind of stopped there, traffic in the other direction stopped. And there was an SUV and the guy kind of in the middle of the road, not too far ahead of us, the only thing ahead of us, jumped out of his car, yelled something. Then you heard another pop, pop. And I didn't see the guy had a, he did not have a gun, but he was yelling and somebody said, he's on the roof or something. (gasps) And the guy got back in his car and just pulled forward a little bit, then got back out and yelled again. It was a total like active shooter scene. No fucking way. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And it was also weird, like didn't see a gun and wasn't quite sure. Like you hear the the pops and you think, are those kids with firecrackers or something like that? Didn't know. I saw... 
below the hotel, there's like a little FedEx and the FedEx dude came out, dropped the packages and went back inside. Oh my God. And I'm sitting there going, I need to go get groceries. And I, you know, (laughs) pulled back in the car, rolled up the window. And when it seemed quiet, I just drove past and just kept going. And it was seemingly fine. But as soon as I turned the corner to head towards the market, I saw a couple of cop cars just screaming past with sirens blaring. And by the time I got out of the market, three city blocks there in Pasadena were shut down. Five helicopters overhead. Wait, wait, wait. How close was the market to where you were? Um, I don't know. Quarter of a mile. Like you were just like, I'm just going to stay in the area and go in the market? Oh, it wasn't. No, no, no. It it wasn't like that. It wasn't like the the shooter's not going to go run over to to Whole Foods and shoot that place up or anything. How do you know? Maybe he hates all the woke people of the world. Do we have to cut that? I don't know if I can say one. I don't think so. I feel Um, like woke has now become a bad word, so I'm not sure. Yeah, and I came home and I checked. I was like looking at Twitter feeds and looking at everything to see. Did they say what it was? I think the next day somebody told me, I just texted you. You can look. There was an article about it, a couple articles about it. But it was fucking way. That's so scary. 10 a.m. on a Wednesday, active shooter in downtown Pasadena. It was wait, when you were pulled up to the person next to you and you guys kind of heard it, did you kind of look at each other and be like, uh, what was that? Um, sort of. It was more like, you know, don't look at anything. Just kind of look around. What the heck's going on? Right. Nobody really knew. And, and that was it. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. It says the person in custody is a 44-year-old man. Maybe we know him. He's uh, almost 50. <laughs> <laughs> we must know him. Then. I think... That's really I think scary. The, the article oh. said it started with an argument outside of a courthouse. My guess is... The guy mm-hmm. was going, well, I'm like 50. No, you're not. You're 44. No, Probably. I'm like 50. Probably. And that, that's, yeah. it escalated I mean, from there. Yeah. That's so fucking scary. Just all the, I mean, yeah, gunshot in general is so scary, but I'm glad the, you're the okay. Aftermath, the aftermath is scary. Like as soon as I got home from the market, which wasn't that late after that, uh, somebody called me and we were chatting and I said, I think I just drove by an active shooting scene. And he's like, where? I was like, no, downtown Pasadena. He's like, where? I'm at like Walnut and Lake. I'm like, oh, it was at like Walnut and Los Robles. Like it was just right below that. Like it's oh you're God. a couple blocks away. And he goes, oh, that explains all the helicopters. That's so scary. <laughs> it wasn't scary at the time. It was more confusing. Sure. You know? And it was because I didn't see a gun and I wasn't sure that those were yeah, gunshots. But I'm still, not, I'm just I'm saying. certainly not brave about it. Like, ooh, you drove through it. If anything, I'm an idiot for doing that. Well, yeah, I kind of agree. <laughs> That's what I was, I was like, what do you mean? You're just like, oh, I'm going to go to the market. But I'm glad that everything's okay. And that's all so scary. Ugh. I mean, I think the scariest part was when I got home, I realized that my organic chicken thighs were actually not organic chicken breasts. I was like, oh man, am I going to have to go back to the market? Oh my God. Ugh, it was horrible. It was, it was ugh. That is, that, I could see how that could be really upsetting. It was, it was. Dork. Yeah. Speaking of triggering. Yeah. Nice <laughs> should segue. Should we get into... That's the segue. Yeah. And uh, I will say we cut a bunch out of this one because much like me telling stories that go on for a long time, (laughs) Sarah and I were talking about some of the things that she had gone through on, I guess, a European vacation once and some other things, like things that actually triggered her. So we kind of pick up right where she was talking about something just triggering like a sense memory 
You know how that happens. Don't have to have trauma to have a sense memory. We have sense memories all the time, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think sometimes it's hard to... I'm having one right now. Um, I guess I, I was trying to think of the difference between like an intrusive thought and a sense memory. I think one can trigger the other or like, I guess an intrusive thought can be triggered by something or it can just happen. Right. But generally speaking, an intrusive thought is a thought you don't want to be there that you can't get out of your head. Right. Whereas a sense memory just comes up and reminds you of something. Like sometimes there are some bubblegum smells that will trigger a sense memory for me of the the Baskin Robbins or the 31 flavors. Oh my God. Like pink bubblegum bubble ice, cream. ice cream. I used to get that and I did not like ice cream. I still don't really. And I would get it and I would make my mom eat all the ice cream and take out the gumballs for me. <laughs> right. But you would never just want gumballs. Like you want those gumballs, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Because they were cold and yeah. frozen in the... It was the best. It's almost like the stale sticks of gum that you get from baseball card packs. Oh my God. Or... Fruit stripe gum. That was so good. Fruit stripe gum. Wow. That is so good for like 30 seconds for till thir- it exactly. absolutely loses Tell flavor. You're yeah. just chewing plastic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, enough so of us memory. chewing plastic. Let's get to it. You guys are going to hear a shorter session with Sarah, picking it up from a sense memory, and we will be back to make sense of all of our memory. Oh, man, I lost it. Mm-hmm. No, nope. we'll just yep. be back. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> it's so interesting to me the way sense memory works and, and what, you know, what that association is and what our brains bring back. Because it, it can be scent, it can be taste, it can be sound. These things come flooding back because you, you can't necessarily control what you smell or what you taste. Even if you don't act on it or don't reckon it part of you is going to go right back there to what that was like and how that was in one of the big combo style homes which was really just 250 people crammed into like a mansion they during you know when the like really bad they called it persecution so essentially stuff had gotten out about the cult that there was sexual abuse and physical and mental abuse and stuff and um it was in the courts and everything it was a big deal and all the homes right. like all over the world were getting raided and the children being taken away whenever they called it a knock at the door. That's what they called it when the authorities would show up at these homes huh. to, to ask questions and check on the welfare of the children, etc. They would turn on various levels of Beatles songs and that help song was the one that mm-hmm. meant get lost. Like we would go down into right. an actual yep. bomb shelter to hide. Yeah, you told me that. Yep. Yeah. So absolutely. Right. And I think right. that's why to this day, I'm put off by Beatles entirely. Like all of it is just kind of a wash because of those memories that, that come back to me. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's it's weird and it's not because that association is there. Even you just going, oh hell no, can't do Beatles. Nope, don't do it. <laughs> right. We have an emotional response. Part of what you know you and I've been doing and, and moving towards in some respects is looking at well, what was the initial emotion? Because that didn't get to be expressed. That had to be suppressed and repressed, and you were oppressed. 
So you never got to to have that. I like this question. I was thinking about it. And what I wanted to do was stay there and talk to the cops and tell them what was going on. Right. And you're in this. I shouldn't say right, because you you don't know, (laughs) but you're in this place where you are essentially a captive. And you're a child and you're so scared of doing anything wrong because of what, you know, how, how your already horrible, horrible situation is going to get even worse if you step out of line. Let me, let me, yeah, let me pause you for a second. I want to interject because I want you to keep telling me about this, but instead of saying you say I, okay, because you can say you're so scared. You're so this you're actually depersonalizing your experience for good reason, Sarah, for good reason, right? You're, you you don't want to relive it. You don't want to feel it. Of course, of course, of course, of course. So don't think you're doing anything wrong. You're not. I just want to see how it feels to you. Yes. I was so scared. I felt so trapped and that the, the cops or the authorities, they seemed like, you know, have you ever watched those movies where a serial killer's got somebody and they're like right at the door, just about to escape and then wham. Yeah. (laughs) It's essentially how I felt every Mm. single time this would happen. It was right there. Like the, the exit, the salvation was right there, but there was nothing I could do about it. They use a lot of threats too. you know, you are responsible for your younger brothers and sisters. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, Uh they're going to get taken away and they're going to give, you know, they gave us these big horror stories about what was going to happen to us in my mind. I, and I have, these are some of my only very clear thought patterns from childhood is always thinking, but what, but what could actually be worse than this? What if I just walked to the door and told this cop, I am being abused. My brothers and sisters are being abused. We're hiding downstairs in the basement. Fucking raid this shit. And then what would have happened? But what we were told was your little brothers and sisters will get taken away from you and you will never see them again. They'll be given to people who they don't know and blah, 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 blah. And that was always what made me go, okay, I'm going downstairs to the fucking basement. It was pretty intense. I want to stay here for a second if we can. I don't want to intellectualize it too much. We will later because I can hear that this is almost where Mama Bear was born because there was that threat that if if you do this or this, that your, your siblings will be taken away. So now okay, I've got to keep myself in check and I've got to maintain everything for my siblings. No, there is always that part where you think back and you think, God, what, you know, like the butterfly effects, like what would my life have been had I just said, fuck this and just gotten out at at eight or at 10 or however old I was when this was taking place. And the kid inside is is very conflicted, I'm sure, because I I'm I know I I was, which is it's not fine. This is awful, 
but is the alternative worse? I didn't know what was outside of the cult, but in my mind, so what Berg did was he would, he basically founded the cult on the fuck, a fuck Uncle Sam movement with all the hippies, right? During the war, the way he painted the picture of authority, any kind of agency that has authority, legal authority over citizens were, were like painted in such a scary context where, where we were terrified. I think even more so of them than of the people who were actually hurting us. But as I say that, I get a sick feeling in my stomach thinking if I had done that and they had come in and taken all of us, would they have taken my brothers and sisters and spread them out through the system? I love my brothers and sisters very much. The thought of us being torn away from each other at such a young age is also scary. I wonder if that's something you've ever talked about with them. Funny, we talked about it the other night because we were comparing our cult to um, something like, um, what are the Amish? And they let you go off for a year and experience the real world. But if you don't come back, you're shunned. You, you never get to speak to your family ever again. Our cult actually in, ripped families apart all the time. They, they didn't want you to get comfortable. They didn't want you to have a family unit. And in fact, my sister's saying that was actually the demise of the cult because we were so used to being ripped apart that there was nothing to make us come back. Instead, we just brought our brothers and sisters out, you know, and eventually our parents. And we we pulled them out because we loved each other as a family. So so there's a, a very stark difference in the sense that we were saying how the Amish actually have like a 90% or something return rate because of the bond between family members that is encouraged from the time they're born till the time they die. Whereas in the cult, it was actually discouraged. I don't know, maybe it was because my mom insisted that all of us kids stay together. Maybe that's props to her. Thanks, mom. In a sense, what you got was a sense of family. I wanted to get out and be done and make a life and then look back and get all my, my siblings. Because then mm. I would be able to take care yeah. of them. It's interesting because you left at 15. And I'm saying this for impact, just to explore this idea. Mm -hmm. You did abandon your siblings. Mm -hmm. You left. You yeah. left them even though your intention might've been to establish a life and come back and help them and rescue them and save them and be mama bear, you left. Mm -hmm. I wonder how that played on you. If there's a sense of how could you leave us or God, you're so lucky you got out. Overall, the consensus is sister mom, literally for all my brothers and sisters. I think what, what sort of overshadows Anything else is the fact that I did what all of us wanted to do. And then in turn, that allowed everybody else 
to have a sort of safety blanket. I was young, Hmm. but I, I got a job right away. Eventually, I got to a place where I could rent an apartment. And so we moved into a two bedroom apartment and I got my first um, younger, younger sister. And she came and lived with Mm. me and started working and started figuring her own stuff out. And then the next one and the next one, when we talk about it, they'll, they'll tell me stories of things that happened to them during that time that I was not part of the family unit. And they're horrifying stories, like awful, awful, horrible horrible things that my younger brothers and sisters went through in those sort of, I would probably say five year span where I was trying to get my life set up enough that I could take care of them. They tell me some of those (laughs) stories and that's hard for me to hear. And again, I wasn't there. I wasn't there to comfort them or to protect them. And that hurts me. Hard, hard for you to hear. How so? I couldn't do anything about it. I mean, I couldn't really do anything about it when I was there, but I could always comfort them. I could always let, you know, they always knew that after their beating or after their, you know, time in the shed or their silence restriction, they could come to me and lay on my shoulder and cry and I would take care of them. And I wasn't there. There was no reprieve when I, when I wasn't around. Because it was it was nonstop and they didn't have any way to get those feelings or emotions out. They just needed that mental release. Maybe I excuse it to myself in the sense that, yeah, when I hear some of these stories, I, I actually cry sometimes because the stories just make me so sad. But had I not done what I did, who, you know, who... What would, what would have happened? You said I cry for them sometimes. Yeah. You ever cry for yourself? No. <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. Instead of crying, I laugh and I, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah. You used to laugh a lot more as a deflection, okay? And we're getting closer to something the compassion that you feel for your siblings because of what they went through and what they experienced when you weren't around. I want to see if we can have a similar compassion for you and what you went through and that there was nobody around. I have had conversations with brother too. The pain that he stored up and felt and stored up and felt for so long and the pain that he released for so many years with, and I mean, I'm talking heavy duty drugs. They were shooting up. They were like 14 years old, shooting up. This is what will make me cry. These are the, these are the, the things that hurt, hurt me because holy crap, like, I cannot believe that they had to go through all of that shit alone with no way to contact me, no way. I mean, there was no email or anything back then. And I think that's why I've always had such a long, long, long rope for them. You know, the jail, the Mm. rehabs, the, the drug. I mean, it's... 
it's pretty crazy. I feel like they needed to do that. Like it was 100%. What else were they going to do? At least they're still alive. And at least they're here to tell me those stories. Because a lot of my friends aren't. And your version of that was to get out. And a lot of what breaks your heart and what kills you was actually happening to you too. And sure, some of your siblings got it worse than others. We're introducing this with emotional content. We're introducing this and connecting it in a way so you can actually feel it and express what you were feeling and what you still feel when you tap into that. And we'll get to process that. Many times I've said to you, I'm sorry you went through that. I'm also going to say, like, wow, how amazing that you were able to get out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As much as it breaks your heart to hear about your siblings, you were going through that too, and you got out. I do feel like I'm more open to feeling emotions for myself. When we first started talking, I was always like, oh, yeah, no, but I'm fine. Clearly, I'm not fine. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Actually, that's not necessarily true. I think therapy is just healthy, period, full stop, even if you didn't grow up in a fucking cult. Oh, yeah. But I do, <laughs> I do know that I'm not fine. I'm getting much finer through, through all of this. But I'm also coming to a realization in my own circumstance or my own memories that is allowing me to kind of go deeper into them. Kind of how I feel like it's happening emotionally for me. You got emotional tonight. Okay. We didn't open the floodgates. You know, we we cracked the door a little bit. We peered through the window a little bit and we'll come back to it. That's what we do. There's, there's weight being lifted off of you. I am not enunciating as much. A function of the enunciating is a function of control. And I'm actively seeing it being looser. Wow. Maybe that actually feels good on you. It really does. So much less anxiety. Amazing, amazing difference for sure. And we're back. Hello, we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. First thing I wrote was sense memory. That's it's so apropos. weird too how we get triggered by that stuff and it comes back to us seemingly randomly out of the blue. And it's for a lot of people, whether it's traumatic or, or grief or, or could be a good thing like we were or talking good, about yeah. in the intro. Right. But that, you know, hearing certain songs just brings things right back. You know, like oh, for God. her, I think she was yeah. saying the, the Beatles well, she described song. it later. Yeah. Yeah. The Beatles tune. Yeah. Which sad. Yeah. She was saying in, in the cult, they would play Beatles songs over the loudspeaker and each song meant a certain thing. And she was saying, if it was help, then that meant go into the basements and take cover and hide and, yeah. you know, we're getting raided or something. That's, yeah. And she yeah, was that's wild. so fucking sad. She was like, I don't want to hide. I want to go talk to the cops. Like when she was saying... The salvation was right there. Like they were right there and there was nothing she could do about it. I think that's sort of when the idea of when you started bringing her to the I instead of the you had her personalize it, you know, which I I tend to do a lot in session. 
sometimes if it's something a client does a lot, I will in one session, I'll just say it 15 times. They'll be like, ah, they'll say, oh, and when you blah, 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 I'm like, I, and they're like, what? I'm like, I personalize it, bring it back to you. And then the next sentence. And once I do it a few times, they yeah. can't even say you anymore without being like, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, just to be clear, we're not correcting their grammar. We're getting them to personalize their experience because it's a way to connect their actual emotional experience or something. Yeah. Right? It's a lot easier to just say the general you of the world. And obviously sometimes that's what we mean. Sometimes that's what you mean. Uh, sure. But a lot of times when you're talking about something, it's much easier to not connect to the emotion by putting it on the quote unquote you. Again, her saying like, well, you know, when you're a child and when you're scared, I'm like, well, you were a child, you were scared. Right. Say your name. Say Sarah was scared. Say I was scared. And she got it intellectually. Yeah. It's interesting because a little bit in this session, I could tell there was a connection to an emotional experience that she might not might not have actually wanted to go towards and, and explore, but she was acknowledging, yes, this was my experience. And in subsequent sessions after this, because we did this, like Mary, your version of just saying, I, 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 in sessions after that, they're more likely to connect it to themselves and their own right. experience. So she has gotten much more emotional about things and connected it to her own experience and, and taking ownership that that is a part of you. That was part of your past, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, she talked a lot about sibling stuff in this, about how they would get threatened, or sh I think she would get threatened. Like, if you step out of line, bad things are going to happen to your siblings. And what would have happened to her siblings had she not X, Y, or Z? I think she talked about the butterfly effect, right? Like the sliding doors. Right. Totally. And I believe she said they didn't actually really know what it was like in the outside world for a while. Yeah. And that that's because they got so brainwashed by, by Berg and, and the people in the cult and running it that a lot of how they thought of things was the outside world was like the establishment and the government. And she was like, a lot of the cult was built on the, you know, fuck Uncle Sam movement, you know? And right. It wasn't just like, yeah, we're going to burn our bras and, you know, and, and listen to our hippie music. And that's, right. it was like really, she even said, painting a picture of authority, like any kind of agency and, and this, it's, she was actually, as a child, remember, she was a child at this time. She was very, very scared and conflicted because she thought as bad as it is here, it would be worse in the hands of the the big, bad establishment. Oh, right? so sad. Yeah, I think she even said that she had recently talked to her siblings a little bit about it. I think it was, she was talking to them about the Amish and right. Rumpspringa and how 90% how yep. of them return because- mm -hmm family was so encouraged as opposed to in the cult, family was totally discouraged. They didn't want them to have a family unit, right? Not outside of the cult, outside right? They wanted the, them yeah. to have, to grow the cult family, but it's, right. and you're right. And that's, we've talked about that, that documentary before on here too, Devil's Playground, where mm -hmm. it's explaining that for the Amish, they're pretty secure in, in who and how they are as a community. So if you wanted to go leave the community, Here's the time to go do that. Go right. do that. And if you want to come back, we'll welcome you back with open right. arms. That wasn't so with the cold, clearly, because if you got out, you were probably never coming back. Right. It's really sad. That's so fascinating. I don't think I knew that statistic, though. 90% of them come back. It's, it's wild. Says something, for sure. 
it was interesting because as she was talking about this, she's talking about the butterfly effects, sliding doors, and that idea of what would happen to my siblings if I got out. They might be taken away. They might be this. And I said something to kind of challenge her on this. I said, you did abandon your siblings. You left. You abandoned them. And I said it that way to try to like get at uh, the guilt and see what was going to be there to lead us to a place of can she be compassionate for that you know, 15-year-old version of her that got out. Right. Well, yeah. And she said that one by one, her siblings got out. But what would have happened, we don't know. But if she hadn't, quote unquote, left and abandoned them, right? Inevitably, she wouldn't have been able to be there for them as the one who was, I don't know, evolved or healthy of sound mind, you know, or whatever she, you, to sure. help her, her siblings. She said she was always there to help them. Said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And obviously neglecting herself to some extent, but also one of the things she really said was that she felt horrible for not being able to be there to comfort them when they were having horrible things done to her, to them. Right. Sorry. I hear this as her therapist and my head goes two ways instantly. One is, well, who was there for you? Which I've said to her several times and she'll yeah. go, I was. And yeah. Well, and some of her siblings in some ways were. The other place I go to is, okay, can you allow them to have their own experience and not take the responsibility for it? Right. And it's something that as an adult in her life now, she does take on a lot and she is looked at as the one who takes care of everything. You know, that, that's where I said the, the shirt I want her to burn that says, yeah. keep calm, Sarah can handle it. Like, no, I don't want you to handle it. Like, right. let everybody else. And she's, she has now come a long way. And where we are in real time, not just on the podcast, which we're maybe about a year behind from where she actually is, she's come so far from this. Like, she really is owning Yay. her own life and doing it herself and- she still is the one people go to, but having her boundaries so she doesn't hold this ultimate responsibility for everybody. Yeah. And she, she said something like she even cries for them sometimes, but like, nope, not yet. Mm -hmm. She doesn't cry for herself. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, who was there for you? Who cries for you? Like, no. One. And that's, that's where I was saying we're getting closer to her emotional experience because she's not saying like, well, you know, when one is left in the position of being the sister mom, one has to do this and one yeah. has to like- there wasn't one, it was you. Uh, yeah. And not right? only that, by the way, hearing her say that, it makes so much less sense to me to hear her say it because no, no, 99% of the world does not know what you're talking about. What you're saying does not apply to most of humans when you say, you know, when one is a sister, what? no, <laughs> like most people don't know what that is like. So if you're sitting there talking to someone about it, it's not even like someone can really l relate to you. Like you got to personalize right. it, you know? She was talking with her brother about all the pain that he had stored up over that time. And when she thinks about what other people did, like she had one sibling that created this whole fantasy world, you know, Ugh, of what was yeah. going on to get out of it. Several of her siblings and just people she grew up with turned to drugs. Yeah. And a lot of them, after coming out of the cult, ended their own lives. So she thinks like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they all had to go through that. And for her, she carries this, that they had to go through all that without me. Right. I'm like, wait, can we like look at, you had to go through it too? Right. 
And if she goes, well, yeah, but I wasn't shooting up and doing drugs at 14. It's like, no, you actually left on your own at 15. Yeah. That's pretty crazy too. Yeah. Especially considering the courage it took for her to do that, to leave in the first place. Right. One of the things she said towards the end, she was saying like, I'm not fine. I'm getting, I think she said, I'm getting much finer. Much finer. She said, yeah, yeah. She said I'm not fine. Yeah. I know I'm not fine. I'm getting much finer. Yeah. And then she <laughs> yeah. said something to the effect of like, I'm not enunciating as much. And I was going to ask you like, does she hate me for that? Does she now, does she literally like every time she thinks of enunciating, she thinks fucking Meredith, but it's true. You know, to be honest, I, I, I really want to point out how you're making someone else's therapy all about you. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's cool is, I mean, because you pointed that out and she's heard it on the podcast, we've been able to refer to it and reference yeah. it. Like you and I talked about on the podcast yeah. that now we can use you as a character, you know, or as, as a yeah, symbol yeah. in her therapy. And she's looking at, you know, I'm not enunciating. So, you know, she might say something in passing like, yeah, Meredith would probably be proud of me this. Yeah. And that that's another way of just her being able to see herself objectively. Yeah, no, But it's, it's almost cool. like objectively through your subjective right. experience, which is not actually you. So it yeah. all works. Yeah. And the reality is she is getting much looser about things. She, she even is. said that. And yeah. 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 And that's really cool. And what I like as the therapist is she's also getting more emotional about things. Like we're finally cracking. Yeah. Like I said, we're, we're cracking it open a little bit. You know, it wasn't the floodgates coming, rushing through. It was right. just a little bit. And it's something we can now come back to. And we're showing that it's okay to go there a little bit. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. great and appropriate for her. And I mean, her journey is her journey, but I think for her, from what I know, Cracking it a little bit at a time is going to be way more effective than opening the floodgates, at least for a while. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can tell you a year from where we are now, it's definitely been the right way to go. Like it's, it's yeah. amazing. You I know? could see and any floodgates starting to open. She would just run away, like be like, peace out, not doing oh, this yeah. anymore. You know? Well, what's cool is now a year later than what you're hearing I could absolutely challenge her, open a floodgate, and she would willingly go through it and be nice. fine with it because we've had the experience of right. doing it incrementally over time. Owning, I mean, when I first mentioned trauma survivor to her, she rejected it. She yeah. hated that phrase. Yeah, yeah. She hated that term. Now she's just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a trauma survivor. Yeah, I get it. It's amazing. Okay. What else? Like, it's, it's fine. And she actually does get it. It's not as flippant as I just made yeah. it sound. Like, right, right. Yeah, she absolutely understands that. And it's cool to hear it come out in her parenting too. That sense of being looser and that sense of trying things differently with her right. kids than was tried with her. It's so heartwarming and like amazing. Yeah. I'm sure for you, especially to be able to hear this. Oh yeah. She is she's absolutely getting much finer. Aw. Yeah. That's yeah. Funny. And you guys will hear more. In uh, in a couple weeks, we'll do uh, we'll do another Drew next week. Then we'll be back with Sarah. Then we might actually take a, a real break, not just a unannounced hiatus. But we'll uh, we'll keep you guys posted. In the we'll meantime, you know. listen for us, find us on social media, rate us, review us, tell your friends about us. Okay, yeah. bye, bye.